Good evening. It is good to see everybody out tonight to be able to come together as the children of God to worship in spirit and in truth. And we're continuing to be mindful of those that have been mentioned that are sick and those that are also traveling on vacation this week and this weekend. We pray for their safe passage back and we pray for those that they may regain their health if it be the will of God. Tonight will be part five in our series of lessons on the crucifixion. And so far, we have looked at many aspects of the crucifixion thus far. We have looked at the trial. We have looked at the Lord's Supper. We have also looked at the scourging that our Savior endured. And tonight, we're going to focus our attention on prophecy and forgiveness. What was taking place nearly 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem had been prophesied many years before. We're going to look at that tonight briefly. We're also going to look at and tie into that the foreknowledge of God as well as the promise that was made that would benefit the human family for an eternity. How people come to God and how we enter the church today. And then we're going to close our lesson, the remainder of it tonight, with a lesson of forgiveness taken from Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the first thing Jesus said on the cross. We're going to look at that in detail tonight and apply those examples and those things to our lives and how we, as Christians, should forgive one another. And, of course how we can remain in good standings with God to obtain his forgiveness. So looking at this first slide, first slide, the love and prophecy of God, if you would be turning back with me to Genesis chapter 3. We'll start there tonight. Genesis chapter 3. Before we read those verses... It would be good to consider, though, the scene in which we left off last time. Of course, Jesus had been given the guilty plea and a guilty verdict in, in, of course, the trial. Those chief priests had been able to, with their scheme, had planned that, and the Lord trudged to, go, to Golgotha. And there, his hands and feet were nailed to the cross beam, and to the vertical post, and he was raised up, suspended between heaven and earth, and paid the sacrifice for us all. With these things in mind, we'll now look at that Genesis chapter 3 passage. Now, of course, we all know with the, throughout the uh, scene of creation and we understand how sin entered the human family of course by way of the serpent through Eve and as well as Adam and their partaking of that fruit that they were told not to, to partake of but beginning in verse 15 God made an overwhelming statement that would benefit the human family, looking down through the stream of time that would benefit the human family from then 
as a promise that would come in the future to when time shall be no more. Verse 15 reads, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Sometimes this passage is referred to as Satan and the seed of woman. Through her seed, we all know the Christ would come. And we're not going to look at all of these in detail tonight, these prophecies. I've decided to reserve those for our last lesson, uh, if it be the will of God, uh, tying that in together. But for tonight, on this slide, we all can appreciate with this promise that the devil's power would be overwhelmingly crushed. Of course, through the death of our Savior. This crucifixion also drawed an end to the Old Testament. Not only did it pave the way for salvation, but when we, when we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the text there reads, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Although it saved, although we see in, in its place, we can appreciate the New Testament in its place as something that we don't live under today, but it's an absolute study tool for us to use today in looking at those Old Testament prophecies. And we're even commanded to uh, learn from it. In Romans 15, chapter, four, or chapter 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And when Jesus began his earthly ministry, one of the very first things he said was, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass, till all be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. So we then can appreciate that the crucifixion put in a plan of salvation that would benefit the human family for that time until the end of time, for all those generations, even coming to us today, but it also closed the doors on the, New Test on the Old Testament, taking it out of, his, out of the way and nailing it to his cross. We also can appreciate that the forgiveness of sin obtained through that crucifixion, passages from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and Colossians chapter 1, 14. We'll reserve those uh, for our last lesson in the series, and we'll look at those in greater detail at that time. But for the remainder of the lesson tonight, if you would be turning to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, lesson on forgiveness. One of the most mind-numbing scenes for us to appreciate as Jesus uttered the first thing. Of course, it was the 9 a.m. hour that morning, that morning of crucifixion. And he said, beginning in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And those Roman soldiers would continue. They parted his, his raiment and cast lots for it. We looked in that detail last time about how his only possession the Lord ever owned was gambled right before him. And all, also that fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. But when we look at this statement that Jesus made here, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, we can easily understand that this was not uttered in a, in a, a series of preaching, a quiet scene of preaching to his disciples as he oftentimes taught them. This was uttered from him in the most agonizing and the most painful of circumstances. Again, he had nails driven in his hands and feet. He had a crown of thorns beaten down on his head and he had been scourged to he was a massive bloody pulp, no doubt. And of course, that spit from those that sought his life were probably continuing to run down his face or on his body. And he had compassion on them, forgiveness towards them. And we each can remember that he could have stopped this at any moment. He, he, so, he so wished to do. We're told in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, that he could have called 12 legions of angels. That would have been 72,000 angels that could have brought all those around the cross to death. The Lord would have ascended back to heaven, and that would have been the end of the crucifixion. But we all know his purpose in doing and providing that plan of salvation for us. If not for that, we would have no hope of heaven. And it truly, overwhelmingly demonstrates the love for all. Jesus didn't die for a selected few, as many in our world like to think, through predestination and other things, but to all. Anybody living on any continent of any race, and as, the, as if they're at the age of accountability, can become a member of that wonderful church he established, and salvation can be theirs. And again, he also made this statement, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For they know not what they do. Those around at the foot of the cross thought they were putting to death a common blasphemer of the Jews, a common criminal. Jesus knew better than that, though. He wished for them forgiveness with a statement followed by, for they know not what they do. They didn't know what they were doing. Jesus was uh, hanging there a public spectacle for all to see, and that's what they delighted in, those Romans, and of course those chief priests, that's what they wanted. And as, I, as Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, as well as the next chapter over in verse 53, beginning at verse 9, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 2 through by way of prophecy says I gave my back to the smithers and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair I hid not my face from shame and spitting one chapter later verse 53 chapter 53 verse 9 as many were were astonished astonished at thee his visage was so marred 
more than any man. Jesus' physical condition was one that is probably we cannot even physically picture in our minds. Although we've looked at pictures of what it likely looked like, this was different. His appearance, that word visage, his appearance was marred more than any man, marred more than any individual being crucified that they had seen. And of course, the text says those at the foot of the cross, his mother, his disciples, they would be astonished at that. And something interesting that Isaiah chapter 50 verse 2 that a lot of times is not brought out in the course of the crucifixion. Brother Steve Higginbotham brought this out through in the course of our gospel meeting and it really brought it to my attention and I'm sure it as well as yours that they plucked out his beard according to this shortly after the scourging. So we can imagine the, the blood as it poured from his face, no doubt, as, it, as well as his head and his physical appearance. And yet, he still had forgiveness for them. So what about for an example for us today? How do we show forgiveness? Forgiveness towards others. If you would be turning with me to Matthew chapter 6. Lesson from our Savior. Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verses 14 and 15. For if you, Jesus speaking says, For if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not, not men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. This very simple, direct, and to the point teaching from our Master is a, a strong warning to, the, to those of us that wish to, to please God. Because oftentimes we are tempted and bombarded with those about us, be it our co-workers, our bosses, our neighbors, maybe even our friends at times. They do things to us. And if we don't show a level of forgiveness towards them on anything that, that, we, that they do to us, then God's not promised to forgive us of our trespasses. And in order to enter heaven one day, we all have to stand in, in a right relationship with God and in forgiveness with God. In 1 Peter chapter 21, verses 21 and 22, we are encouraged there to show humbleness and kindness And that text reads, For even hereunto were where Savior was where Savior was suffering, and yet he had he had you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that ye should follow his steps, 
who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Again, his example toward us in forgiveness, in forgiving those that are cruel to us, that those that maybe even personally would set an agenda to make things difficult for us, we still have to show that level of forgiveness. And if we're not careful, Satan can use that scenario as a temptation for us, and it can wind up in our lives as sin if we're not careful. But no matter how difficult the situation may be, maybe a situation happened where lies were told on us at the workplace and we lost our job over it. We can name several examples, but no matter the situation or how bad we may think it is, none of us will ever be faced and none of us will ever top the excruciating pain that our Savior suffered. And yet, he had the kindness in heart to forgive them. Next on that slide, and tying to that, we're encouraged to show forgiveness and prayer and love again towards those that have agendas against us, our enemies. In the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verses 43 through 45 ye have heard that it had been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but I say unto you love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We are then given a strong description and a strong warning to and a teaching to pray and love for our enemies, to show that towards them, to set that example towards them, our Christian example, so that they can see us living the Christian life and in hopes for them to obey the gospel in truth, to maybe study with them. But what about another scenario? Continuing on that slide. What about those that have obeyed the gospel or maybe even for a Christian that has repented of a certain sin? In our minds, are we quick to bring up the past about that individual? to maybe to them or behind their back. Statements can be made, well, Sister so-and-so did this, and I can't believe she did that. She's been raised in the church all of her life, and can you believe she did that? All the while when she has repented and asked for prayers for forgiveness. Or maybe Brother so-and-so did this or did that. And I can never believe he would obey the gospel. Can you believe that? Living the life he did. Friends, if we have that mindset, we are really blaspheming forgiveness. Because if that person has been forgiven by God and has obeyed 
or repented of a sin, then we overwhelmingly should as well not bring back up the past. Remembering what Paul said, leaving behind the thing, putting behind the things that are behind and looking forward to the things which are before. And providing that forgiveness with those in the church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. To that congregation it was said, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have quarrel against you against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Again, another example from, Christ, from our Master. Christ forgiving us, as well as those that have obeyed the gospel, showing forgiveness towards them, not bringing up their past. A similar statement was made in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, speaking be, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. There may be even those in the church that do something towards us that maybe not intentionally, but even if intentionally, and they come to realize their mistake that they made and the sin maybe that they were in, and they ask for our forgiveness. Do we tend to forgive them as God has, or do we want to hold a grudge and we want to keep bringing that up in their life? Again, if God's forgave them, we must as well. Because on the day of judgment, it's not going to matter what we think about a person. It's going to be with their standing if they're going to be forgiven in light of God because he is our judge. He will serve as our judge. And he's the only one that will condemn those to heaven and will condemn those to hell. If they're not forgiven, we don't have that right. Continuing on. With forgiveness in mind, what about forgiveness from God through salvation? In Ephesians chapter 5, 23, we are told that those that are saved are in Christ. And we all know that the crucifixion as well as the resurrection made that possible for those that are in Christ all spiritual blessings are found and we asked a question a moment ago those at the foot of the cross that Jesus wished forgiveness on did they receive forgiveness right then and there and the answer is no they didn't because Jesus had not yet died. The plan of salvation had not yet been put in, put in place. That wouldn't occur until roughly 54 days later on the day of Pentecost. And if we turn to Acts chapter 2, we are then given that description of how one can obtain forgiveness and enjoy all the blessings that the Christian life has to offer. In Acts chapter 2, 
Now, of course, the apostles had been baptized in the Holy Spirit at this point, and the first gospel sermon was preached, beginning in verse 36. Therefore, Peter speaking, let, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That promise that Jesus made surrounding the Lord's Supper, that his blood being shed for the remission of sins, was now a reality. And we then learn how that blood is contacted in this verse. It's through baptism. One can be saved and become a part of that body through baptism. Belief alone won't do it, although it's important and it must be obeyed, hearing as well, confessing his name, and repenting of sins all converge as a completed puzzle piece in where salvation is found. And that's how the New Testament describes it in every way. And another, another thing on God's forgiveness and an issue that has troubled many is God's love and His forgiveness is unconditional. And friend, upon reading of the New Testament, you and I know that that's not true. From this very very verse right here in this in the text, there was terms that had to be applied. They had to come to in compliance with those terms that were made. And in verses forty one and forty seven, the descriptions given that they were added to the church. They were added to that body, becoming a member of that body and that church. And of course, if those as well as all those in past times throughout generations if they will obey correctly as God has set forth and remain faithful until death heaven will be theirs but with God's conditional forgiveness and his if we look at that through unconditional and through unconditional love, many in, many in our world today are under the illusion that, that God, we can live however we want to, and we can basically do whatever we want to, and as long as we believe and we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, as many of the denominational groups teach, then heaven will be, be ours, and they'll also tie in once saved, always saved, and they'll... Make, a, make God in an image on the day of judgment as this older individual that's just going to accept each and every one into heaven. And those that will be consigned to hell will be just the most heinous thieves and drunkards and those that commit rape and other things. And we all know that's not true. Forevermore, there is one body. And that one body will be turned over to God at judgment. Continuing on, Galatians chapter 3.26. We're told, 
For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So we can, we can then conclude that one must be in Christ to be saved. And of course, highlighting the importance of scriptural baptism. As well as in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. On that occasion, Saul, now at this point name changed to Paul, was given his testimony on that occasion. His reenactment of what had happened on the road to, uh, road to Damascus. And of course, Jesus shone down in a, as a great light and spoke to him. And in the course of that, he said, Go into the city, and it will be told what thou must do. And of course, verse 12 tells us, Ananias met with him. And he said, verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was not saved on the road to Damascus. Paul was saved after his sins were washed away, after he was scripturally baptized. That crucifixion allowed that forgiveness to take place. It was now a reality. It was now a reality for all of those in the first century, for Paul, as many others of, of those that would obey and that would be a tremendous help and aid to the carrying out the work of the church in the first century, building those key principles that you and I still hold true and believe in today, of course, all by access to the Holy Spirit, of course. And lastly, on this slide, for those that are Christians, for those that are in Christ, a tremendous promise is given in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. We all know it well. For if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we strive each and every day to walk in the light, then we can have the utmost assurance that forgiveness is ours. Even when we do slip up, even when we do fail, the thing is, we can't be living in a life of an ongoing habitual life of sin. Now, if we're doing that, then we've forsaken our salvation at that point. And God's forgiveness and His love to us, that's severed. One has to then become faithful again and in a right, in a right relationship with Him. That very thing. John would say, in, beginning in chapter 2, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He, and he is the propiti propitiation of our sins. That propitiation is, goes, takes us back in our minds to the cross, the atoning sacrifice, a continuing sacrifice of His shed blood, covering us as Christians, each and every day, as long as we're faithful and as long as we're walking in the light. So for tonight, as we close this lesson on forgiveness, have you obeyed the gospel? Many in our world today 
reject the most greatest and precious offering that God could ever give to the human family. They reject the blood of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 through 30, we're told of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be through thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of his grace. That's a very sobering question for each of us even as members of the church and as Christians because we can find ourselves in the grasp of Satan if we're not careful. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, to examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. If you're not, and you know in your heart tonight, you haven't been living faithfully. You have allowed an ongoing life of sin to come between you and God. Or maybe you have allowed things to come in your life that you need prayers for strength, for forgiveness, for encouragement. We'll pray with you. If you will confess those things, God's promise to forgive. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, there could be no better time tonight, the 19th day of May 2019, to become a New Testament Christian, to put him on in baptism, and to walk in the light for the remainder of your life. To do that, you must hear the word. We've done that tonight, Romans 10, 17. You must believe with all your heart that Jesus came that he did do what he said promised to do. You must repent of your sins in your life, turning away from them with the intent to do them no more, Luke 13, 3. Confess his wonderful name as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9. And lastly, come in contact with that precious blood in baptism, Acts 2, 38, and Mark 16, 16. And remain faithful until death and heaven will be your home. If we can help you in these two ways tonight, won't you let us know how we can do it, even now while together we stand and sing.